the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. Welcome to the Instructor Podcast. As always, I am your splendid host, Terry Cook, and I'm delighted to be here and even more delighted that you have chosen to listen. If you are a regular listener, welcome back. And if you are listening for the first time, welcome on board. This is a show where I speak to experts, leaders, innovators, and game changers to give you information and inspiration to help you become an even more awesome driving instructor. And today is no different. We have plenty of information and inspiration for you. There is a slight difference though, because today I am delving into my back catalogue of the premium content and pulling out one of my favourite episodes from the Standard Check Checklist and giving that to you today for public consumption. I've decided to do this once a season. There's over 60 exclusive episodes over there and today i am giving you one of the standards check checklists that we run that is the show where we dive deep into one of the competencies on that standards check to give you a better understanding of it and help prepare you a to pass your standards check and b to deliver even better driving lessons And today I am joined by the awesome Emma Cottington, who shares some delightful knowledge and uh, and makes me look at things in a slightly different way. But just before we dive into the show, I want to give you a little nudge to go and give the show a subscribe. Wherever you're listening, whether it's Apple, Spotify, whatever, go and click subscribe so it drops into your feed every time we release a new episode. And once you've clicked subscribe, share it. Share it with your friends, share it in WhatsApp groups, share it with your local associations, share it on social media, wherever you can, I'm all for you guys sharing it. And if you're feeling extra nice, make sure you leave me a little five-star review. You can do it on Apple, you can do it on Spotify, you can do it on Facebook or Google, anywhere you want. And speaking of five-star reviews, if you hang about till the end of the show, you will catch another couple of my favourites over there. People that have left reviews, and I'll be reading them out at the end of the show. But for now, let's get struck into the Instructor Podcast. So welcome to the seventh edition of the Standards Check Checklist, and we are currently continuing it through the risk management section, and today I'm going to be looking at was the trainer aware of the surroundings and the pupil's actions? And, as always, it's not just me, I'm joined by someone who is an expert and an all-around decent human being in Emma Cottington. How are we doing, Emma? Hello. I don't know about decent, Terry, but I'm here. Uh, But yes, thanks for having me once again. It's a privilege. No, uh, it's great to have you on. Uh, These are one of my favourite shows to record, I think, um, because these are ones that I often get, I don't know what the term is, maybe corrected on, because it's not my 40. You know, I I keep thinking about it, but I've genuinely no interest in training people to become an instructor. It doesn't appeal to me. Um, I like my learners. I like my business. I don't like the that bit. I like doing this side of it. I like the, the the talking to people, interviewing. I like coaching them in different ways. Anyway, I'm going on a tangent. But when I um, but when I do this, I love it because a it helps me obviously. But b I get yeah. to find out all these awesome different takes from other people, and I'm trying to get someone different on every show. So it's great to have you on, uh, and thank you for answering the call. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. Today, as I said, I'm talking about, was the trainer aware of the surroundings and the people's actions? Now, 
I would say if I was picking a a topic, uh, not a topic, a competency that I probably knew the least about in terms of how it's assessed or how you would train it or anything, it's probably this one. So you've oh, come brilliant. to probably quite a good one because I'm going to ask some dumb questions for you potentially. But before we dive into it, let me ask you, what are your thoughts on the standards check overall? I, I'm a massive advocate for it, if I'm honest. Being an instructor that that's that's come from check test era and and having to come into standards check, so having to change. I'd only been an instructor for I want to say five years when it changed to the the new standards check way from check test way. Um, so I, I I kind of felt like I I was just getting into it, finding my feet, finding my flow properly and, you know, really feeling like I, I was doing my job and knowing exactly what I needed to do and all the rest of it. And then it changed. I was like, great. Okay. What do I do with this now? But I'm, I'm a massive advocate for this new way because I think it really dives into our skill set as an instructor. Um, what we, what service we should be providing and, really transforms the the way that we train somebody and and that's that's not necessarily coming from obviously we're talking about driver training right now and learner drivers and and how we do our job with with regards to the standards check but I'm a massive believer that that learning does come from the person that's being taught and I think this standards check kind of really brings out those coaching skills that allow us to delve into the person that's being taught something and allow them to find that learning from within them. Um, and we're just basically there to to allow that to happen and, you know, facilitate that to happen. Um, whereas the old way was very much teacher-student, you do as I say and copycat or what have you, and I'll tell you when something's going wrong and then I'll tell you how to fix it. But I don't believe that that works, not long-term anyway. Um, so yeah, massive advocate for it. It's it's interesting you you speak about it like that because when I first kind of come across the client side learning approach, the coaching approach, I did turn my nose up a little bit, and I was yeah. like, "Well, we're instructors, we don't coach, and we don't, you know." And then um, I kind of had it explained to me what it was, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's kind of what I do already." Yeah, it's a bit- it's a mix, isn't it, of both? It really is. Mm-hmm. There's, there's times you need to tell people stuff. I Absolutely. don't crash into that bus, uh, which yes. ties into what we're talking about today. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And there's times when we can ask them and, and, and so on. And But, yeah, I, I, it's a phrase that I find quite cheesy, but as you you said it, and I think it's right, we get the learning out. I, 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 I do. Absolutely. I think that's spot on. Um, all right, so the, the first big question I'd like to ask everyone around the standards check specifically um, and we were kind of touched on this before we started talking, actually, is it's one of the things we see people stress about the most. It's, it's who to take on the standards check. So, you know, if you had someone come to ask you about who should I take, what would your answer be? Um, I think my biggest thing here, um, and I think this kind of comes from a, a perspective of, obviously, we, we get a varied amount of different people come to us for what we do. You have different people sitting in that, that car, every single day um but for me this this question comes down to one of the um, essential coaching skills you know I'm a true believer that if we don't have rapport with somebody 
we can't do no, no matter how good we are at our job if you haven't built that rapport with somebody else then you can't do your job effectively I don't believe and we're not going to have rapport with everybody you know we're human we don't get on with everybody so there's going to be some that are more difficult than others because you can't build the rapport as well as what you could do with other people um so for me I would be looking to 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 do this with somebody who is got a bit of a rapport that will kind of bounce with me somebody who's willing to answer the questions when they come or and also equally that's not scared of asking you questions either you know they're not they're not feared of approaching you because they've got that rapport with you that they, they feel comfortable to say I don't know what you're talking about or I'm not getting this or whatever it might be. Um, so for me, it's somebody who's engaging and just from a personal perspective, somebody who doesn't take themselves too seriously, really. Like I think I just connect with those type of people anyway that don't take themselves too seriously and bit of a, you know, quite happy to have a bit of a laugh with it and, you know, keep the serious undertone of what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve, but in a, you know, in a fun and, and sort of light way, really. So I'd be looking for that because that, not only is good for your student, but I think when I'm under the test conditions myself of, of a standards check, that would relax me too. So I'd be looking for somebody who not only I'm helping, but who's going to help me in that situation too, so that my stress levels can come down. It's, I think, I could be wrong, but I think you're the first person to mention rapport in regards to this question. And it really resonates. Uh, I think you bob on. Um, I always think back to my the old style part three that I took and I passed second time. I've probably told this before, but the the first time I didn't feel like I had that rapport with the examiner, and she wasn't doing anything wrong at all. She was literally just doing a job, but she was very formal. And I just yeah. did not feel at ease for the entire test. Now, that's not why I failed. I failed because I wasn't good enough on the day, but yeah. it wasn't, it didn't help me. However, the second examiner I got was amazing. I can remember it pretty clearly. We came out. I think I said something about the test, and she's like, oh, we'll speak about that in a minute. How was, how was your day? And straight yeah. away, I'm relaxed, and we're walking up to the car, and it only when we got in the car, we're talking about test. And like after, when we, we switched, I can't remember what it's called, but you did like half of one test and half of the other. And she goes, if you want to get out for a minute, I stretch your legs, you can do. I'm like, actually, yes, that would be awesome. Please. <laughs> Exactly. And and that rapport, and I think that's a you know an underrated uh skill with students sometimes. I think we're very quick to to look at them and be like, Well, you've said something that's annoying me, or you've texted me a what you've texted me a question mark. How dare oh, you text yeah. me a question mark? Yeah. We're no longer doing lessons. Yeah. Rather than, you know, let's have a life. Anyway, yeah. that's a whole other episode. <laughs> um but yeah, good shout. I like that. Um so let's move on to this competency then, this one in particular. Mm-hmm. So it comes under the risk management bracket. Was the trainer aware of the surroundings and the pupil's actions? So do you just want to give me your initial take on that, kind of what it means, how you interpret that side of it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think for me, out of the, the risk management section on the competencies, I think this one's actually the the, the main one. I think it can, well, for me it is anyway, that, that's my sort of interpretation and it's kind of one of the things that I use in my training. Because for me, when you're, this one is managing the risk outside and inside your car and you've, you've got those two sets of risks to, to, to manage, what's going on outside but also what's going on inside. 
And I think sometimes, particularly with um, PDIs, we become very focused on what's going on outside the car um, as being our main risk, um, which is fine because there's a lot of variables going on outside there and a lot of people that we can't have any sort of control over in any way. But I do feel that we've got a huge risk management with our student as well. Um, and again, it comes down to those skills of of having that rapport. Again, I'm going to go back to that word because by having that, you're able to read body language. You're able to hear the the tone. So when they're saying something but meaning something else, you know, that for me is all risk management. Because if that person's melting at the side of you and you're not aware of it, and you're just listening to the fact that they're going, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. But you actually know they're really not fine. That's risk management. And and that's what this question means to me, um, especially, obviously, the pupils' actions. I think a lot of people come with the perception that pupils' actions mean how they respond to the surroundings, which it does. But I like to look a little bit deeper. Pupils' actions, for me, is how they're presenting themselves as well at the time. What's the body language like? What's the tone of voice like? Um, you know, are they sweating by now? You know, things like that. I think that that for me comes under pupils' actions as well, um, as well as how they're responding to the road ahead. Um, so, yeah, I think for me it's, it's the main, main thing um, with regards to risk management because we need to interpret the pupil um and we also need to be the driver from the passenger seat when it comes to this question you know you need to be fully aware of what's going on around you um so that you can be as proactive as possible with your student rather than being reactive because there isn't a lot of time for reactive behavior from an instructor if there's something going on that's that needs that response um you know you need to be able to deliver that to your student as, as quickly as possible, really. Well, if you consider this like the, the main one we're in mismanagement, then I've definitely got you on the right episode, haven't I? So that's good. <laughs> I won't even plan that way. Um, you've, you've said a lot of things there that I, I want to touch back on. I think there's some key mm-hmm. ones, and I think one of the first ones, and it kind of says it in it itself, but it's where we're looking. You spoke about, I think you mentioned about we can find ourselves looking ahead too much rather than, than at the student. Um, it's something that I found myself doing. Uh, I think it was, if I'm being honest, a bit of complacency, a bit of laziness, you know, when I'd first passed, a bit like, oh, passed now, I can relax. Um, And one of the things I did, and this turned out to be a bad idea, but to make myself look at the students was I'd I'd put my, I'm I'm doing this on video so people won't see, but I put my right arm almost behind their seat so it was holding the the back seat, in the back seat which would make me twist round to face them a little bit. And it got me back into the habit properly because it physically made me do it, look at them and pay attention to them. And I would have to physically look to twist the other way, which I thought was a great idea until I needed to grab the wheel one time and my hands yeah. all the way back, back yeah. in the car. I can't imagine it was great to be back in your shoulders either. <laughs> no, oddly enough. Um, but is, is that? do you think one of the common problems around that is that you – the uh, instructors do find themselves looking ahead too much and not paying enough attention on the student. Yeah, I think I think like one of the words that you use the complacency. I think we can be we can become complacent, especially if you've got a learner driver who, let's say, is test ready. You know, tests coming up in a couple of weeks. 
you're looking far ahead you're spotting these things that's happening on the road ahead whatever the hazard might be or the situation that you feel is going to need some risk management from this learner driver and I think we can then become a little bit complacent of not looking at them or expect an expectation that well they they can handle this you know they've handled this before or they're coming up for the test they should be able to handle this or whatever and then kind of not reading them in the situation so not noticing that they've not started to check the mirrors so therefore have they spotted what this hazard is there's no response from them even coming off the gas to even remotely start to slow down for whatever it might be um you know and I think we can come become a little bit complacent to notice the the what they're doing the body language whether they're looking in the mirrors basically are they following their MSPSL routine or whatever routine that you you would be looking from for them at that point um and I think when we get into that complacency and you know what we'll probably be on those hazards straight away we're a driver so you you're responding to those things but are you responding to them in enough time to get something back from your learner driver to notice what they're doing as well because then we've got to start thinking about what level of intervention we're going to need to bring into this if any you know and and for me I'm a huge advocate that we should be avoiding physical intervention unless we really really need it you know for me you've got sort of two two verbal interventions before you get to that you know you've got your call to action of you know what are you going to do with this have you spotted this are you going to how are you going to deal with this what have you and then you've got the you need to come off the gas you need to get on your break or whatever um you know but if we if we respond late to our student not responding you're now into a react reactive situation rather than a proactive situation um and beyond risk management which I know this is what this competency is all about in in this sort of conversation but beyond that for me that destroys a little bit of your rapport with your learner driver because now they're feeling a bit crappy because they've not dealt with the situation that could have probably been avoided from getting to that point if we'd have responded well um, as the instructor, they've now lost a little bit of confidence in themselves and probably a little bit of confidence in you as well. And it, then you've got to build that back up again. So you're kind of going back round again. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that things aren't going to be reactive sometimes. You know, there's always going to be something that surprises us. There's always going to be somebody who does something that none of us was expecting. Um, that's just the way of the road, unfortunately. But a lot of the time we can avoid getting to that point that it's reactive and a physical intervention, I think. Do you think instructors from, from your experience, obviously, um, are good at spotting the obvious stuff? You know, so when we're saying we're going to take the next road on the left, you're good at, because you're giving a direction, you're good at looking ahead, checking your surroundings, and then looking at the student. But perhaps when there's stuff that you're not giving a direction for, something that's just occurring, you're more likely to miss that. For example, you come to your traffic lights, you've stopped, they've left it inferred, there's a car behind, you're either not paying attention, don't notice a car behind, or you're not paying attention, don't notice it's inferred. But when you give the direction, you're then actively doing it. Do you think there's, that's more likely to happen? 
Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting that you put it that way, actually, because I don't think I've ever kind of thought about it that way. I probably have, but in a different way. But yeah, I think there's, there's things that's, that's more obvious to us um, to give direction for. And then there's things that's going to be less obvious to give direction for. And I think if we're if we're getting to that point where it's the the it's less likely, I think we become more reliant on them to do what they need to do and they might not do it the way we would expect or the way we would do. And therefore then you're running the risk then that things are going to then start to break down between the two of you and obviously then the 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 element of risk to everybody involved, you and the other road users, depending on what it is. So yeah, I would I would say so, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. Again, you mentioned that there's sort of a breakdown of, of rapport, and I'll use that example again of trying to sort of infer gear. You know, that if a student does that and you don't notice it and there's a car behind and then they stall, we don't know what's going on in their head at that point. They Their immediate thought could be, why have you let me do that? No, you know, you ask any student, the worst thing they can do in the world is stalling. They hate it. You know, it's that embarrassing thing. And and you've almost just put them in that situation to a degree. So I think I think that's interesting. I'd, I'd never kind of connected the two of of, of this particular competence, competency and having an effect on rapport. So that's that's interesting for me. And I, I want to just step back slightly because with these standards check checklists, the idea is to give people, you know, a good idea and ways to teach you know, within, you know, what's expected from the DVSA. But we are also looking specifically at the standard check. And I suppose the other key thing there about where you're looking, if you're on a standards check and the examiner's sat in the back, they're watching you. So they're going to be watching to see if you're looking at that student. So even specific on a test, we need to be doing it, don't we? And letting them see we're doing that, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, part of the question is, the pupil's actions you know that, that bottom you know it was the trainer aware of the surroundings and the pupil's actions and I think sometimes that's translated as the pupil's actions to the surroundings well actually I and yeah a part of it is but for me it's also a separate thing um you know it's it's the pupil's actions just broadly on their own and how that's then going to affect the surroundings um, you know, so it's not necessarily their actions in, in response to the surroundings, but how their actions are going to affect the surroundings as well. And your example of being in third gear, moving away from traffic lights is a key example of that. That wasn't the pupil's response to the surroundings. That was your pupil's actions affecting the surroundings. Um, you know, so I think definitely from the, the DVSA and examiner, examiner perspective on a standards check, they're, as much as they've not probably got a great view of the student, they're aware of what that student's doing. You know, they're, they're well trained for these things. Um, and, you know, they will be looking at how you deal with those those situations for, and from a risk management point of view, how you go about intervening with that. Um, and then looking at the intervention side of it, was it client centred, you know, so stopping at traffic lights and red light and staying in third gear is your approach to that to either have you not noticed or was your approach to just leave them and let them stall is that very client-centered well probably not you know so if that happens is there a way of dealing with that where you can maybe use your questioning techniques or maybe you can use your um 
call to action or you can look at a prompt or something like that that will highlight the problem to the student but allow them to remain in control of it so that they figure it out, fix it, and then move away from the traffic lights as you should. Yeah. I love it when we get a good example that works. Uh, makes yeah. it so much easier. But, I mean, just on that, you're writing what you say, you know, how are you handling that? And I think, you know, if you're aware of your surroundings, so perhaps you know whether there's a car behind or not. If there's nothing behind you at all, that's where you could converse with your student a little bit and say, now just think right. before we set off. You know, whereas if there's a car behind, you might want to be more direct and say, make sure we get it back in first. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So it all kind of ties in. But you also mentioned about uh, body language uh, and about Mm -hmm. knowing how your students feeling almost. Um, And I think that's interesting because that almost takes away a little bit of the, the looking at them because we don't always need to be we can pick up cues without looking directly so with what they're saying and also you've got your window down you can hear what's going on outside the car but the one that stands out for me is you know if you're looking ahead we can see out of the corner of his eye and you'll see that finger just move underneath the indicator and you're like why are the signal in here um so what what are we looking for when it comes to body language then do you think and that's quite a broad question but what are we looking for yeah i mean i think i think it's now I don't, I'm going to say this as if it, if it as if it's quite obvious, and I shouldn't really make that generalisation. I think because for me, looking at this from a, a lot of people who listen to this might not know this, but as, alongside what I do here, I'm doing a lot of training with regards to sort of counselling, uh, mindfulness, well-being, and all that type of stuff, and. So a lot of my training for body language is in that as well. And I've developed that so much more since I've been doing that side of training as well. But your body language, people connect with your body language before they connect with you as a person, before you even engage in a conversation sometimes. You can normally tell whether somebody's receptive to having this conversation or they're not, um, whether they're kind of quite an open and, and, and maybe bubbly person or whether they're quite shy and reserved and they're not going to be forthcoming. Um, but we can also tell when there's a change in body language. And I think that's what's important in, in this situation because we, we get to know our learner drivers reasonably well. So you'll, you'll be reading their body language from the moment that you meet them, but we'll be very aware also at the point that that changes. And it's knowing that that point that, that there's been a change to then physically find out what that change is and why there's been a change. Because not a lot of them are going to come forward and go, I really don't like this. They're not going to, you're their instructor. And some of them won't have that that sort of confidence to say, unless you've built a really good rapport, and, and in most cases, but you're not going to be able to do it with everybody. But a lot of them won't be forthcoming and say, I don't like this, or I'm not ready for this, or I'm not, you know, it'll come from how they behave instead um that you know that they're not sort of ready an example of this i mean it's hard to show body language when there's no video but an example of this for me that really stood out and has always stood out and i always use it as an example is um i did a briefing one day on town center roundabouts and we were chatting away um this student more than capable to to be able to handle this this new scenario that we're doing she'd actually volunteered that that's what she wanted to do that was her goal and um 
we we did a bit of a briefing, found out what she knew, what she didn't know, and all the rest of it filled in the gaps. And I and then we come to the end of the conversation. I said, right, okay, are we ready to go then? And she went, yeah. And straight away, I don't well, no, you're not. <laughs> she said, yeah, which she very much meant no. So you know, I had to delve a little bit deeper and and figure out you know what what was going on for her. And we we changed that session around all from that one little reading of body language. Um, we're just taking a slight pause in the show to give a big shout out to the latest subscriber to Instructor Podcast Premium. That is Simon Jenner. By signing up, Simon has got access to almost 70 at the moment exclusive pieces of content for premium subscribers, much like the one you are listening today with the Standards Check Checklist with Emma Cottington. He gets access to all those awesome shows, including the shows by Bob Morton and San Harper and Robin Bates, as well as all the stuff I do individually as well. So big thanks, Simon, for signing up. If you would like to get access to all those additional shows, and on top of that, there's at least another free quote every month, usually five or six, you can get access for as little as £10 a month. Just head over to theinstructorpodcast.com and you can check out the premium over there, or you can head to the show notes and click on the links to take you straight there. For 10 quid a month, you get access to all that stuff and all the discounts as well for awesome places like Client Set of Learning and the Guild of Mindful Drivers. But if you don't want any extra content, but you would like to support the show, you can sign up to the £2 tier, where you get absolutely nothing except my eternal gratitude. And you get to support the running of the show by contributing £2 a month, for which I am supremely grateful. So as I mentioned, www.theinstructorpodcast.com. Check out all the premium stuff, as well as all the cool stuff we've got over there, like blogs, and uh, collections of shows and all that cool stuff. But for now, let's get dive back into this episode with Emma Cottington. It's it's interesting, and I always think to the one that I like, the one that always makes me happy, and it's it's when you pull up beside it road and they immediately turn to face you. It's yeah. like that. That's awesome. You just you know that they're then keen to engage and want engaged. to talk. Yeah. Then you get the others, of course, pull up beside the road, they keep their hands up, we'll keep looking ahead. And it's like, right, okay. Do you not want to talk? Do you want to carry on driving? You know, it's but it's yeah. it's interesting. But there's so much more we can we can pick up on than just the um just looking at, at sort of where they're looking and stuff. That like you say, <laughs> just by having that conversation and by by keeping an eye on them. But I think the other thing I want to touch on there is how we deal with stuff on the move, because I think that this plays into it largely in that, you know, it, so we surroundings and with the actions are obviously monitoring that, but how do we deal with stuff? So like you said, if you've noticed your student hasn't checked the mirrors when they're coming towards the, the roundabout, mm-hmm. how do we deal with that? Have we got enough time to question them or do we need to jump straight in with a, some of being a bit more direct? And I, do sometimes still struggle with that now because I think they haven't checked the mirrors. How long am I going to wait until they haven't checked them? Do you know what's the last possible point I can say somewhere? And even now I'll misjudge it sometimes. Oh, should have said something earlier. And then you kind of got to jump in with a with an action. But not everyone's great at answering questions on the move, are they? I mean, I'm just going to throw a quick example of one of my students. Um, and to give you sort of uh, an idea of this student she she judges the quality of a lesson by how much she's cried 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and she's she. We kind of talk about it every lesson. It's more for my sake than hers. When being honest, just like, am I okay yeah. to ask you? And she's like, don't ask me anything while I'm driving. Don't ask me anything. I, you know, mm-hmm. tell me, and then when we're talking, I'll pull up. And I'm yeah. like, okay, cool. And that works for us. Won't work for everyone, but. What what were your just sort of your overall thoughts on that about how we would use those instructions on the move, you know, in accordance to how they feel? This you get what I'm asking you there. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think this for me um, relates more to the sort of top section of the standards check sheet under the lesson planning because what we're trying to balance is the lesson plan that you've got, the goal, and what the what expectation the pupil has set and your part in that their part in that and all the rest of it and then when that becomes a risk at what point does that go from lesson planning to risk and I think what I mean by that is so for example if, if your student's goal in this respect was roundabouts that, that we've mentioned and they said at the beginning their goal was to do a roundabout completely by themselves. they wanted it to do it independent and they wanted to achieve exiting first left. That was their goal. So for me, that's their goal, exiting the roundabout first left. Now, your um, learning goals and needs, so their needs as well, you've got to kind of bring that in. But if their goal is to do that independently, then you've got to balance out. Your level of instruction now is to leave them to do that independently. You're not guiding them. You're not prompting them. There's nothing in there for that because that's not what they want you've also got a level of risk to to sort of deal with as well so if you've got people that's then coming up to this roundabout and you know they need to move into this left-hand lane and they've not checked the mirrors yet to see that that's clear from my perspective and this is just my opinion I would be of course looking in the surroundings myself checking the mirrors myself so that if they move over without this mirror check that we're going to be safe it's going to be okay um I would actually let them complete the maneuver unless it was a risk so if I then check the mirror and there's a cyclist there and they've not done it I'm going to intervene at that point what I would then be doing is letting them complete the roundabout once we're safely off the roundabout I would then be asking for the reflection on how they felt that went. If we work down the routine, did you do your mirrors? Did you do your signal? Did you, you know, how would you assess yourself on this? And then I'd wait for their response to see what their response is. Um, And if they're fully aware of the fact that they've missed the mirror, I'd then be having a conversation of, well, why do you feel you missed it? You know, what are the risks of that? So I would only actually intervene on the approach that roundabout if it becomes a risk management problem, there's an actual risk. I think that's a really good example, actually. A really good example of two things. Firstly, how a lot of this blends together on the standards mm-hmm. check and, and they're all kind of connected. Um, yeah. But also of how things can be interpreted because, you know, I'm trying to put, obviously I'm not a, a standards check examiner or enforcement officer or whatever they're called nowadays. Um, but yeah. sort of trying to pick it from their perspective. If that had happened on a on a, uh, on, on your Sanders check and you've agreed that beforehand that level of instruction so I do it independently well you've just got your your ticks for that you've got your marks for that section if you then go on and you don't notice a car 
or something around something in your surroundings that you don't notice, you're getting marked down for that. If you notice it, but don't notice that your student hasn't noticed it, and then that causes a problem, again, you're getting marked down for that. But if you do it like you've said, which is you've noticed it, you've watched your student, you've seen they haven't noticed it, but it hasn't caused a problem, and then you've addressed it afterwards, well, then you're ticking every box. Yeah, and I think that's a, a really good example of how to look at it, um, just how it all blends together, which I think is great. Um, the and I think kind of sort of looking to sort of find a few points on this because I think this is where a, a commentary drive comes in useful. Um, now, I know that when your students learn, they aren't learning this topic. This topic is for us as instructors. But yeah. I think this is brilliant for us in this sort of section because we really get to see where they're looking. Is that something you would ad- advise? Or Yeah, I, I absolutely love commentary driving. I absolutely love it. I mean, I, I, again, it depends on your student as to what you're going to get, um, you know, their interpretation of it and things like that. But commentary driving really does give us um, – it gives us an insight into not only what they're looking at, but how they're processing it. You know, what's the, I'm I'm a huge advocate uh, for thoughts and feelings. As a human, everything that we do is based on our thoughts and feelings. Uh, Our actions all come from that base. And I think when you look at commentary driving, you're looking at, or you're assessing what they're looking at and how far ahead they're looking and seeing these things. But we're also going to tap into a little bit on how they're feeling about it um, because they'll they'll organise things in order of sort of priority, their priority. And that normally comes from a thoughts and feelings basis of whether it's something that they don't particularly like dealing with normally or if it's something that they find really relatively easy to deal with. Um, and a lot of it comes from a thought. Sometimes you can run the same route with the same sort of hazards that will pop up with two different people and they'll respond in completely different ways. But it will all depend on their thoughts and feelings around that certain issue. Um, park cars is a key example of it. Um, you know, some people hate having to stop to let somebody else come through because of a parked car. They can't judge the space. They don't know the distance. They don't know where to stop. Um, you know, so the spotting of hazards on a commentary drive will all be about parked cars normally because they hate it, so they're focused on it. Um, or there'll be a complete avoidance of it. <laughs> it'll be the opposite. You know, it'll be one or the other. Um, but you can normally sort of tell. Whereas somebody who is dealing with parked cars generally in a, in, a, in a really well way and they've never really had too much of a problem with it um won't tend to tap into it they'll concentrate on other hazards and things they'll because they'll deal with that as if it's not a hazard because they just sort of flow with it in their driving they just deal with it and it's been fine for them it's never been a problem so thoughts and feelings come massively into commentary driving and it's fascinating to watch yeah um the one that always makes me chuckle is i mean this technically commentary driving but I sometimes like to ask a really vague question of what can we see up ahead? Because I'm always fascinated by the first thing they say. And there's yeah. always someone that will say a pigeon. They won't yeah. see the roundabout. <laughs> they won't see the signs, but they'll see the pigeon. Yeah. You yeah. Know, yeah. Miss the pedestrian that's just stepped out in front of them, but it's in the pigeon. Yeah. All the dog dogs are only a good one. Oh, did you see that dog? 
I'm actually watching the pedestrian cross and change to red. But <laughs> <laughs> it's it's normally me with the dogs. I've been known to get out with the car sometimes when the dog's been walking past. <laughs> just yeah. just hang for a minute. I'm just off to say hello. Um, okay, cool. Is there anything else you want to touch on regarding this uh, this particular competency while we're talking? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think I think the only one. I think it kind of comes back to something that you said um, before that kind of was a bit of a light bulb. Well, not a light bulb, but something kind of come up for me was when it comes to this. A lot of this is about timing as well, and that kind of comes into one of your other risk um, competencies as well. Because if we're not aware of our surroundings in good time, we can't possibly instruct coach teach whichever way you want to look at this enough time for that client learner to respond in a way that's safe for everybody we have to be you know it's all about the timing and knowing your student knowing what they're going to need from you at that time you know knowing them is key because and that, that this is the thing that I, I said about touching on what you said about your student who will, doesn't like you talking to her on the approach to junctions. And, and I completely relate to her because even now as a driver of, well, it's, it must be nearly 20 years because I've just had my um, renewal from a driving license um, from a photo to expire, thank God. Um, but even now as a driver of nearly 20 years, a driving instructor of nearly 12, if you put me in a city, busy city centre, you know, I'm a large town girl, so I, I've not had to do huge amounts of city town, city centre driving. But if you put me in a city centre and I'm following a sat-nav, I can 100% guarantee the radio's getting switched off and if you speak to me, you are not going to get a good response from me because I can't do it. I need to concentrate on what I'm doing. And I really relate that to how our learner drivers are feeling when you're talking to them coming up to a junction and it might be something that is just so simple for you to do, but they've got that level of concentration that they need to think, they need to process. So if you're not planning ahead to your surroundings, timing-wise well, you then can't time your or appropriately use the correct level of instruction with them that's going to work for them. You'll end up being reactive and jumping in and sort of having to say this and having to say that and having to say the other. And then they're more likely going to have a meltdown because they're trying to concentrate on this junction and you're chatting to them and everything's just going to be like, what's going to go on here? Yeah. Um, you know, and I completely relate to it because I still do it myself in a city centre. <laughs> I'm exactly the same. So exactly the same. Um, however, this is where you're probably nicer than I am because. <laughs> Um, there's a big roundabout in, in Leeds and I've now forgotten the name of it but it's up by one of the test centres and you're almost guaranteed to go on it if you go on your test mm-hmm. and uh, when we go on to that roundabout on a lesson when we first come on to it the first thing I do is I ask the students a random question about what they're doing that day yeah. huge advocate for that at the right time yeah Oh, yeah, it's and not the first time they're doing it <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely and that's where this question comes in for me um, with regards to it's it's all about timing it's about knowing them, their stage, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, what they've asked for with regards to your sort of level of intervention and instruction and what level of intervention you need to give. And that's where that first question comes in of goals and needs. There's a difference between the goals and the needs. Um, you know, one of the things that we've recently started around here targets that that sort of distracted driving 
Um, and what we're doing around with with my school at the moment is we are getting groups of students together as a collective. Um, at the minute, we're actually targeting students who have failed a first attempt at driving test. And we're targeting those people um, to give them extra training. We do it with all of them anyway, but we're, we're kind of targeting more with these at the moment in the fact that we're going to get three of them in the car, two in the back, one driving. We're going to have the radio on. We're going to hold conversations as a four and potentially also take them outside of the area that they predominantly learn to drive in, maybe into the next town or what have you. Um, and it's to get that, you know, that that level of distracted driving in there, even more so than what we can do in lessons in preparation for the test in the first place. So, yeah, I'm a huge advocate for that, and I do that too. <laughs> it's... I mean that's fascinating for me what you've said there. I might have to get you back on onto the uh, the driving business episode as well yeah. uh, to talk more about that. But it, it, you know, one of the things I do around that is I'm on the border between Leeds and Bradford. Uh, now most of my work is in Leeds, admittedly, um, but if those students fail the first test, one of my suggestions is always let's go drive around Bradford City Centre. Let's see how you get on that. I do it before the test as well sometimes, but and yeah. you can just see their face drop. I'm like, yeah. you don't want to do it. They say, no, Mark, now we're definitely doing it. If you yeah. don't want to do it, we're doing it. Um, <laughs> okay, so do you want to leave us with one tip, one piece of advice that you would give to anyone with an upcoming Sanders check and or, well, not and, but or part three? Yeah, I think, I think my biggest tip would be to not prepare in my experience with pdis or and standard check with adis is that we can prepare too early for the topic that we're going to do now for me we shouldn't if, if this is to be there's, there's obviously an element of planning we're all going to do it it's a test at the end of the day you know we're all going to plan you're all going to pick the student that you feel this is going to work with the most but for me, I, I've had ADIs and PDIs ask me six weeks before their standards check or six weeks before their part three, what what should I, what topic should I do? Well, for me, you should you can't possibly know it at that stage because how do you know what your learner needs in six weeks' time? So you may already have your student planned or the one that you, you you're more likely gonna wanna, you know, take with you, the one that you get on well, the one that you feel is gonna answer your questions or question you. But try not to plan the actual lesson itself too far in advance. You can get yourself all caught up in, I'm going to do roundabouts and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And in actual fact, in fast forward six weeks when the test is actually happening, that actual goal isn't, isn't the right goal for your student. A lot of people fall down because the goal isn't necessary. It's not correct. It's either too easy or too hard for them. But I feel that a lot of that comes down to the fact that the instructor picked the topic six weeks previously and it wasn't client-centered. It wasn't around what the learner needed at the time. For me, you're only probably going to start to be aware of what the needs and the goals of that learner driver is probably only two to three weeks before, depending on how many hours a week they have of, of lessons. So yes, plan. Don't just rock up on the day and, you know, go go with it. But try not to kind of plan too far in advance would be my would be my thing because you can get yourself all caught up in a net there. 
I think that's brilliant advice, and uh, it also means I'm going to tell a very brief story, uh, so be warned. Because um, I, I can tie this to me massively, because I'm always better on a lesson when a student changes their mind. You know, end of Absolutely. one lesson, we'll say, right, what are we doing next week? And then you kind of get an idea, and then we come to, oh, I've been thinking. I'm like, oh, yeah. excellent. What have you been thinking? Yeah. And I get excited by that, and it's it's more fun because it, it gets creative. And I tie that slap bang into these podcasts. You know, start a recording this. I said to you, I'll do a little intro. I'll ask you for your overall thoughts. Um, I'll ask you who you'd take, and then we'll get into episode. Yeah, that That's the extent of what you knew. Now, if you'd wanted to know more, I'd have happily told you. But from my perspective, all I've got is bullet points. And yeah. some of them I've ticked and some of them I haven't. Because if I just go through this using my bullet points, I'm not getting what you want across. Yeah. And these interviews always go better, always, when I talk about the things that you're more interested in, not me, yeah. you, because I'm going to get yeah. more out of you. And I think Absolutely. it's very, very similar with, with students. You know, if you're doing Stop. what they want, they're going to be more engaged. And yeah, um, Absolutely. And just briefly on that story, and I will, I'm will i not going to tell anyone the episode, but you can probably work it out, uh, the worst episode I've ever done. Uh, and hint, it was in season three. Um, they came in with a, a, a list of answers to questions that I hadn't given them. So there was a point when I asked a question, and they said, I'm not ready to answer that yet. You'll have to ask me that one later. I'm like, well, well what's this about? Where's this going on? Um, and then there were another time during the episode when they said, uh, oh, I'm not telling you that. I'm like, okay, why not? This is... We'll find out later. But not like in a playful way, but they had this list. And at the end of the episode, they said to me, um, it was okay, but I think we should do another one where I give you the questions to ask me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're not coming back, I'm afraid. We're not doing that one. The the thing is, and and this is a massive thing, exactly what you're saying between instructor and student, is that you're not working on your agenda you're also not working fully on theirs. You're working as a as a pair. You should be working together, you know. And you know they should be able to kind of just change that and flip it around at any point because that's their goals. Um, we also have to manage their needs as well. So sometimes we need to kind of, you know, bring down some expectations if we feel it's beyond what they're ready for. And we know we need to manage that, but that's a different competency in for another day. But it's exactly what you what you've just said you, you've got to be able to work together you can't go in with a fixed agenda because if you do it's more likely going to fall down yeah. very quickly yeah uh, and then final thing um you are clearly uh, an excellent coach and you clearly have a lot of knowledge and uh, so i want you to do two things for us i want you to tell us where people can find you if they want to get some some wonderful emma cottington coaching um <laughs> And that definitely should be trademarked. Uh, and also, <laughs> you mentioned before about uh, getting more involved in well-being and that side of it. So if there's anything that you want to promote around that, this is your opportunity. Go and tell us how awesome you are. Oh, well, you know, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm not very good at that part of uh, tooting my own horn. But, um, yeah, coaching is massive for me. Um, so coming up over the next sort of six to 12 months, you will start to see me a lot more from a coaching perspective. Um, and that will be wrapped up in a lovely well-being, holistic, um, mindfulness bow, 
should we say, um, because I am a massive advocate. I think my coaching skills do come down to the five essential coaching skills. I'm a huge advocate for that. So for anybody who is looking for coaching or any more information on those things and how they can deliver those or become, you know, that that um, trainer and coach within their training, then I can be found on Facebook Um just as myself, as Emma Cothington. Um, you can find my driving school page, which is Up Driving School. And I have also written a Learner Driver logbook, which can also be found on Facebook. So you can kind of get me down any of those channels. Awesome. Uh, links for all those will be in the show notes. Uh, should people wait six to 12 months or should they get in touch with you now? They can get in touch with me right now. Um my training's ongoing and has been for many years. I'm, I'm a huge advocate for learning all the time, um, but I'm in a position to start delivering um, coaching and training one-to-one right now so they can come to me whenever they like. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for joining us on this edition, uh, the seventh edition of the Standards Check Checklist. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me once again. So big thank you to Emma Cottington there for joining me on that edition of the Standards Check Checklist and this edition of the Instructor Podcast. As I mentioned previously, if you want access to all the other episodes of the Standard Check Checklist and the other shows like Being Better with Bob, Alternative Roots, Driving Business, all that kind of cool stuff, head over to www.theinstructorpodcast.com or use the link in the show notes and for 10 quid a month you get all that awesome goodness. But I did promise you some reviews, and I love it when I get a nice review, so I'm going to share a couple. Now, these ones are from Facebook. They are from my Facebook page. Now, just a warning, not everyone can leave Facebook reviews, but these people have, so I will be sharing them. The first one is by Craig Preedy. Craig is also a premium member and a wonderful human being, and he says... I've listened to a few podcasts now aimed at the ADI and they are okay, but this one is hands down the best by far. The range of topics discussed and guests is second to none. Even the topics I thought wouldn't interest me have. There's a genuine warmth between the presenter and Terry and his guests, and you can tell Terry listens as his questions are always relevant. I'm a little bit addicted. I listen in the car between lessons or on headphones when I'm cooking or shopping. It's awesome. I love it so much. I signed up to the Patreon just to get an additional fix. Well, big thanks to Craig Preedy there. Really appreciate those kind words. And there is a warmth between me and the guests because... I like my guests. I don't want people on that I don't like. So I do think there is a a warmth there and a big thank you for the review and a big thank you to signing up for the Instructor Podcast Premium. Slightly shorter one this time, but I want to give it a shout out because I think it was my first review on Facebook and it's by Michael Carr of Go Roadie. Michael simply says, this podcast is brilliant for ADIs and PDIs, especially coming into the industry. Guests are high quality and offer real value. So big thank you to Michael Carr and Gordy there for sharing that review. Nice and succinct, but I think it actually gets the point. I do aim to bring value. And also a big thank you to Craig Preedy. And just a quick shout out to Craig because he has got a book out from B to A. It's one of the best driving instructor books I've read. I love it. It's nice and simple and gets to the point with some different views on topics. And if you want to find out more, you can join the Instructor Podcast Facebook group. And over there, you can go and catch a live video recording I did with Craig discussing that book from B to A. But 
that'll do for today. So big thank you to you guys for listening. Really appreciate it, especially if you've stayed to the end of the show. If you've stayed to the end, you're my favourite listeners. So I'm just going to say thank you and let you enjoy the rest of your day. Stay safe. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook. Talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them.